Good morning, Fellowship Fayetteville. We are so glad you all chose to worship with us today. I'm going to read this over us this morning. Let us join our voices to praise the spotless Lamb, Jesus Christ, who has redeemed us from sin and death. We, the redeemed, will sing praises and shout for joy because in Christ, the Lamb, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins in accordance with the riches of His grace. Christ has redeemed us from the course of the law by becoming a curse for us. So to him who sits on the throne, we give praise this hour and forever. So in light of that, let's stand together and let's worship this morning. There is now a hope that lies beyond our day. For the one that once was buried lives again. Now the tomb is bare and empty and the stone is rolled away. Praise the risen one who overcame the Church, my name is Ryan Burton. I'm a worship leader here at Fellowship Fayetteville. And we get the privilege this morning of kicking off a new series that we're going to start up in the book of John. And we're going to be in this series for 
a few months. And so get settled in um, for a little bit. Uh, hey, on the first page of scripture, we see that we serve a God that's a creator. And so we want to celebrate this idea of creation. And we do that. Um, we worship through creating in a lot of different ways. And a lot of our staff has really worshiped through um, their gifts of creation through creating this book. And so if, if you have not grabbed one yet, we have, uh, we got a new shipment in, so we have a ton more copies. So grab one after the service. Um, this is the study of John book. So this is going to lead you through this entire series. Uh, and the media resourcing team led by Hallie May has done some awesome work on this book. They've teamed up with different teaching pastors and um, creating this study using beautiful photography. Um, they've used different photographers in our church body, including our own Kerry Holt here. Um, but I've taken these incredible pictures for this book um, to use their skills and their gifts to worship and to lead God's people. Uh, so um, there's also a QR code there on the screen. So um, the book is, is, I think, seven bucks. Is that right? Seven dollars. So you can get it in the foyer. Um, and so that's just to help us cover the cost of the book itself. But if, uh, if you don't want to spend the money, there's also a QR code there. Um, it will lead you straight to a PDF. So you have full access to the book there as well. Um, with that, uh, the worship leaders and our team also wanted to create. And so um, we've been writing songs for the different series we've been through the past few weeks and, and few months. And so we wrote for this series as well. We wrote with this theme of I Am. And so we're going to introduce the song to you here uh, in just a second. We're just going to sing through the chorus a few times. And then at the end of the service, we'll, we'll end the service with actually the whole song. And so, um, but for now, let's, uh, let's listen to the song. I'll sing the chorus over you guys. And we'll, once you start to pick it up, let's, let's sing together. So it goes like this. Oh, Jesus, my Savior and our King, holy, holy, holy we sing. Good morning, church family. My name is Clark, and uh, couldn't be more excited about being with you this morning as we begin our series in John together. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up or open your device to John chapter 6 is primarily where we're going to be this morning. I want to make you aware of a few things that are going on around here. Um, the first thing is uh, we've identified an opportunity to gather men on the fourth Friday of each month. And the first fourth Friday that we're doing this is this month. And so if you're a, a man in here and you want to get connected to some of the different generations in our church and interact on a topic of manhood, uh, find a way to get plugged into a small group, um, we're having a brown bag breakfast at 6.30. 
And then the same content will be delivered at lunch this Friday as well at noon. And so it's gonna be in the FSM room. And so if you'd like to gather with us, we'd love to have you. It's a great way to, to get connected around here. As I interact with men in our church, I find more than ever, it's easier to just not be connected. It's easier to isolate. And uh, I know I'm the worst form of me when I isolate. And so this is an opportunity uh, for the men to get together. Also, wanted to bring you, uh, make, I need you to make note of our, pot, our uh, Sermon Notes podcast. Um, there's gonna be some things um, in John that we won't have time to cover in here on Sunday morning. And so we've gathered some of our teachers together and we're gonna process some of that. We're basically gonna bring you into some of our Monday morning planning meetings where we read the text and we interact with the passage and what it says. And there's some things that don't quite make the teaching that are still very important. And so the Sermon Notes podcast is an opportunity uh, to do that. Um, I don't have a slide for this, but as I walked in this morning, um, I saw that Spectra, speaking of creativity, they've got their new art exhibit available as you walk into the children's area. And you talk about creative, some amazing work connected to this John series. And so you needed to be aware of that. Please check those, um, those works of art out um, as, you, as you walk out today. Um, well, if you could, uh, and if you're able, stand with me as we read one of our texts this morning. This will be John 1, 1 through 5 in verse 14, hear the words of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, not anything made was made that was made. In him was life. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Father, you have spoken, and you've spoken not just in your word, but through the word of your Son, and in that revelation, we have life and hope and meaning and existence as we meet the bread of life today. God, would you stir our hearts to affections to bend our knee to him? Thank you for uh, making your sovereign rulership of this planet clear through the perfect work of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection on our behalf. And in that great name, we pray, amen. You may be seated. A few weeks ago, as I was reading this text, I had two things come over me. One was this, and almost, I can't remember if I was standing or if I was sitting in my chair, but I stepped back. I leaned backwards when I read these words that we just read. And I thought to myself, if this is true, this changes everything. If this is true, in believing on the name of Jesus as the word, then this changes everything, or at least it should. And then I had this thought. Whatever I just read and whatever sense of God's spirit just came over me with, with the reading of this passage, it felt really right. I felt at home. I felt like this is what I was made for. And in, in, in spite of the brokenness that we see in the world day in and day out and the sin struggles that we battle, as I read this text, there was something in my spirit that just said, this is, yes. This is clarity. This is what we were made for. And so as we begin in our study of John together, these next 21 weeks, we're gonna take a unique look through the lens the eyewitness account of one of his best friends. His name is John. And we're gonna look at seven I am statements. We're gonna look at seven miracles, seven encounters. As the disciple whom Jesus loved, it says, 
a Jewish eyewitnesses of his life, his death, his resurrection, a member of Jesus' inner circle, gives us insight. Uh, John's the fourth gospel account. And what's really interesting about John is we have over 90% of the content that we're gonna study in John is unique to John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, what we call the synoptic gospels, we've got unique content here in John. We're gonna see him interact personally with individuals, perform miracles, and then make these I am statements. We consider um, the author here in John 1, 6 and 7. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light we just read about. So that, he gives us his thesis on the front. We're gonna see also in the end of his Gospel account, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, John. He came only as a witness to the light. And then at the end of his gospel account, he says this. John performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this account or in this book. But these are written. Now hear me, church family. This is for those of you who are trying to figure out who Jesus is and whether or not he's worth following. This is also for those of you who are believers and who are followers of Jesus in the room today. These are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the true King of Israel, the Son of God, and that by believing, and this is for all of us, now hear it, that you may have life, fullness, satisfaction, contentedness in his name and nothing else. As we'll see today, he's the true bread that satisfies. In doing that, we can look at the I am statements and we look at the first one today. He actually um, uses that I am phrase over 20 times. We're gonna look at seven of those here in John and it's important that we understand the significance, if you were a Jew in the first century, when he used the phrase, I am, where does that come from and what does it mean? And it carries great weight for us as well today. And so we're gonna go back to set this up in Exodus chapter three. As Moses is interacting with God and he's to be the mouthpiece for God to the people of Israel. He's obviously hesitant and he struggled with confidence. He wasn't confident in his speech and yet he's supposed to be the mouthpiece of God to the people when God commands something there to do it. So Moses comes to God and he says, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what's his name? Who says what? Uh, whose authority do you say these things, Moses? He says, God, what shall I tell them? And God says this, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And by revealing his name to Moses, he revealed not just his eminence, that he wants to be this in intimate covenant-keeping God with a chosen people, but he's also transcendent, that he's self-existent, he's eternal, he does not change, he's Faithful, it's what's captured in this idea of I am. It's most often expressed in the Old Testament with that idea of the, the name Yahweh. In our English translations, that's when you see the Lord, all caps, referring to this name Yahweh. He's the covenant-keeping creator God of Israel. When Jesus employed the Greek form of that phrase in the Gospels, he was explicitly identifying himself with Yahweh, thus bringing the presence of God to this broken planet and breathing life and hope into it. And in John's narrative, we're gonna see these I am statements are most often connected to a sign. It's not designed for us to go wow, but to point us to the one who is wow, the creator God who can do all things and we'll see some of those miracles in our study together. As we consider the I am statements these first seven weeks, we meet the bread of life, the light of the world, 
the door. We meet the good shepherd, the resurrection, the way, and the true vine. It's important for our text today in John chapter six. Um, there's 71 verses, okay? If you could stand, we're gonna read all those. We ready? There's a lot going on here. We're gonna drop into about six to eight of those verses, okay? But just to give us some context for what's going on in John 6, John in verse two explicitly states that the Passover festival was near. So if you were a Jew, you knew that around Jerusalem and around these Jewish places of subcultures, you're anticipating this festival, this event that commemorates the night before they left Egypt and they began the exodus. Uh, this Passover festival is they made haste and they hurried out of Egypt. They made unleavened bread as they prepared, prepared to leave Egypt. We also see in verses one through 11, there's the feeding of the 5,000. And God provides for them. As they seek a sign, he's trying to give them him. And we're reminded that it's not about the bread. It's about the one whom the bread comes from. In 631, there's interaction about manna. We have to go back a little bit there too. Manna was what God provided daily provision for, for the Israelites while they were in uh, the wilderness. It was, it was sustainable for one day. And God would show that he was uh, their daily provider. And then we see towards the end of our narrative today, there's an illusion. It's much greater than that. But he's pointing to his broken body, his flesh given up to save the world. And we'll see here that Jesus, big idea, real simple. You can explain this to a two-year-old or to a 92-year-old and everyone in between. Jesus satisfies our spiritual hunger. That simple statement, Jesus satisfies our spiritual hunger. And if you're uh, taking notes in your John book or your journal there in your Bible, we're gonna look at just three things here. The statement, the implication, and the response, the statement, the implication, and the response. Verse 35, we're gonna pick up the statement of John chapter six. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I'm the bread of life. Jesus was incredible at using metaphors that they could understand and they could see and they could smell, and he used this idea of bread of life. Now, there's a certain bakery in town that uh, I've become acquainted with over the years, and they have my favorite bread, all right? And you can find this in stores across Fayetteville, Northwest Arkansas. It's cranberry pecan. And it, it's unbelievable. And so, have to remember who the source is, right? When, when I request a breakfast sandwich, or for sure when I go, and, and Kurt, we've had lunch there a few times, and I create my own, uh, sandwich, it's, it's cranberry pecan, it's turkey, it's pepper jack, spicy mustard, guacamole, toasted. So good, a few weeks ago I was walking through a store and I came across a loaf and I grabbed it and for the next seven days when I would come home from work I would make a piece of toast out of it. It's a snack. Two Thanksgivings ago I realized they have dinner rolls made of this. It's brutal. But you know, it's not about the bread, and yet Jesus used something that they could connect with. You see, in their culture, bread was not a side, something that you just kind of brought along. It was part of the main experience of the meal. It provided sustenance. It signified provision. It implied this idea of community. In fellowship, you'd gather around the table and break bread together. Uh, Jesus even used it when he was teaching his disciples how to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. The bread was pointed to something bigger, the one who would take care of them day by day. It's interesting, at his temptation in Matthew chapter four as well, one of the temptations that was put before him in his test, turn this stone in the bread and question provision, Jesus. What's his statement? Man shall not live by bread alone, by the very words of God, by the word 
of God, always pointing to something greater. And so bread wasn't just this side thing. He's using an illustration that's a centerpiece in part of the main meal as he presents himself as the bread of life. He builds on the statement in John 6, 41 to 47. We're gonna pick it, or 47 to 51. Pick it up in 51 there. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now, this statement Jesus makes, it's got, it's got implications. If you were a Jew or a Gentile, if you're a believer or not a believer in the room this morning, when someone makes a statement like this, with this weight, uh, connecting themselves to deity, uh, then there are implications to it. Consider this in John 6:35. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And as we see Jesus pointing to something much deeper than bread, let's consider this idea of hunger or spiritual hunger, if you will. It's just an anecdotal definition because I've sat across the table from so many of you these last 21 years living in Fayetteville, Arkansas. I've observed this. Spiritual hunger is the ongoing desire to fill our heart and soul with meaning and purpose. There's something in us that wrestles with and lives in constant angst over the need to fill our heart and our soul with something that says I matter. I'm going somewhere. This thing is bigger than this present moment. It's a desire and it's rarely ever filled. Um, I was reading uh, a friend of mine, Steve Graves, a blog, which by the way, he'll be teaching next week, so we're excited to have him um, with us in this series. And the title of his blog post was The Five Big Questions of Life. Where did I come from? Who am I? Why am I here? How should I live? Where am I going? Now, I know you don't think about all those things every day, but subconsciously you're driven by some of those questions. You see, our default setting when it comes to trying to satisfy our, the empty stomach of our soul is to eat at the table of empty breads, breads that are temporary, that were designed for a day. Many of them are good things in their context, that, but they don't satisfy or sustain. It, it could be accomplishment that God has granted you. Pleasure, control, power, such good things as our children and their legacy, our investment in them, the spouses that God has gifted us with, or experiences that we have in the world and travel and adventure. And then there's some that are they're destructive breads, if you will. Things like substance abuse and sexual addiction or just unhinged hedonism. Or maybe if you're like me, this hunger, this spiritual hunger has manifested itself at what I call the table of next. Talked about this before. The next vacation, the next favorite meal, the next accomplishment. Whatever that next is for you, the next moment of sexual pleasure, the next child, the next workout, the next paycheck, the next day off, the next show to drop, the next purchase of something for your hobby, the next social media like, the next semester if you're a student, the next degree. Whatever is next is the thing that we put in our heart to give us meaning, significance, and sustenance. Can you go there with me this morning? We're after whatever's next. And as we eat at the table of next, we find ourselves, this is interesting, simultaneously stuffed and starving. Temporarily. I turned 50 this past July. And uh, it's, it's my understanding that you're supposed to go see your primary care doctor, and at certain ages, there's, it's time to get some screenings, right? Some of you had some of those this week, and you're glad that they're done, right? And uh, so I found myself, um, after January the 4th of this year, beginning that process, it was interesting, 
with each date and each screening, and a few of them got pushed back because of snow and some cancellations and things, I found myself looking forward to the next screening with the hope that I would get good news so that now I could truly live. It kind of hovered over there, out there in front of me, just the fear of what might be, what I didn't know. And with each one that was on the calendar, I got to that moment and it came and I got the news and I go, okay, now I can really live. And I began to eat at the bread of next, the next screening. And and again, I know for some of you in the room right now, you're going through some screenings that are much more weightier than just a routine. You, You may be having a scan this week and it matters. And you're living in fear and anxiety. It's the table of what's next. And I know some of you are thinking, Clark, it's the beginning of the spring break week. You're freaking me out. Just, I'm more anxious now than when I walked into the room. Who thinks of this stuff? Am I overthinking this? Maybe we've underthought it. See, we find ourselves going day to day, weekend to weekend, eating at a buffet of breads that were never meant to sustain us but actually point us to the one who made the bread. Is that good news this morning? First implication here. We don't have to ever be spiritually hungry again if we'll eat at the bread of life's table. It's great news for us. The other implication we see here in our passage uh, this morning, he says this in verse fifty. If anyone eats of this bread, they will not die. They'll live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Second implication of coming to the bread of life and eating at his table is that you never have to spiritually die. Can you imagine if that truth sunk into the present? In fact, let me remind us that when Jesus speaks of eternal life, He actually speaks not only, and he does speak of this, of being in his presence, in his fullness, an ongoing experience after we physically die, but he speaks of it in terms of quality of life. It's something we possess now. He says in John 17, three, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It's a quality of life. Now, It's his presence in the present. That's eternal life. It's part of why he refers to this life as full or abundant in John 10.10. We'll study that here in a few weeks. You see, we have a satisfied spiritual stomach when we, we allow this future eternal reality that's set because God keeps his promises in Christ. When we let that truth invade our present experience, it's life-changing, and it gives meaning to everything. Without that perspective, the temporary breads become our reason for living, and they leave us short. They have no meaning, but with it, we can actually enjoy those breads, those daily manas, if you will, that were only designed for today's joy and freedom and pleasure. When we need those things for ultimate meaning, they don't fulfill. And how much greater is it to live life this side of heaven without fearing death? Some of you know that. You felt it. You understand it. Well, Jesus pointed here to himself as the only one who could ultimately meet all of our needs. And when we recognize that these other daily manners, temporary things, Once we realize they're not ultimate things, I think that's when we can truly enjoy them because we know who they're from. Can enjoy those things without guilt or discontentedness. Clark, enjoy the sunset, I made it. Enjoy seeing your children thrive. You can't take credit anyway. I made them. Enjoy the fruit of work, I gifted you. Enjoy financial blessing if that comes your way. I gave it to you to steward. 
Enjoy a good meal. I made your taste buds. Enjoy your rest. I created you to need it. Enjoy a good cry. I made you for connection and empathy. Jesus, you're the true bread today, and because of that, I can enjoy those good gifts because I don't need those breads for ultimate meaning, purpose, and fulfillment. Jesus says, I'm the true bread. Take and eat, and let me give you life abundant and life eternal. We have a statement. We have a couple of implications here. How do they respond in the story? Hear this. In 643, there's grumbling. There usually is. It's a mix of uh, people that are trying to, they're interested in figuring out who Jesus is. Some are religious leaders. They're perplexed with the way he's come on the scene. Some are true followers, and they want to know. In 652, it says some of them argued sharply about what he was saying. Uh, some even said this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Jesus looks at them and says, does this offend you? And then in 666, it says that many turned back and no longer followed him. And then we meet the one who had the right response. And it's the centerpiece of John's gospel. You do not want me to leave, you, you do not want to leave too, do you? As he asked the 12. And Simon Peter, as he often did, he stepped forward and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and to know that you're the Holy One of God. He explains to them, Peter, as he responds, to eat this bread, it's equivalent with believing, trusting, having faith in. It's a key word in this book. In fact, it's used over 80 times, eight times in our passage today, and every time but one, it's used in its verb form, which commentator Thomas Constable says it's likely implying the need for an ongoing, vital, vibrant believing, if you will, not just a moment of time where you affirm the deity and the greatness of who Jesus is, but a daily affirmation, an ongoing belief that that is true today, and it's true Tomorrow, believing is more here than acknowledgement of just facts or things that we ascertain to be true about who Jesus is, to relying upon. It's a depending on, a, a trusting, a resting in. If you're a non-believer in this room and you're, you're in a place where you're secure enough to own that and just say it and admit it, you never understood the, the work of Jesus on your behalf um, his death on the cross and his resurrection to give you life and hope and true sustenance. I wanna implore you this, this first of 21 weeks to come back each week and eat at this table, taste the good bread. I wanna implore you to believe and today to begin following Jesus. If you're a believer in this room and you've wandered, and you have days where you don't believe this. I wanna bring you back to your roots to that moment of belief where you affirm like Peter that Jesus is the one who holds the words of eternal life. Keep believing. December 15th, 1985, on Reynolds Road in Bryan, Arkansas, the little church on the corner there I think there's a gas station there now, unfortunately. But I sat in a room, I remember the green carpet, and this man in my church, he took the book of Romans in the New Testament, and he walked me through the story of Jesus as told through the lens of the Apostle Paul. And he helped me see that I had actually never believed. I had missed Jesus in church, actually. And for the first time ever, this, this hunger, this angst, the reason I was sitting down with him is I, I was experiencing this restlessness and fear and lack of connection with God. And whatever I was giving my life to at the time, it wasn't working. And he helped me see the greatness of Jesus and his death on the cross in my place and his resurrection to give me life. I believe that day. 
Do you know that as of this morning, every day for 11,400 days, I've had to wake up and continue to believe that this is true. If you're a believer in the room, we've got to wake up each day and continue to affirm this truth in our circumstance, that Jesus still satisfies your spiritual hunger. Do you believe that Jesus is the bread of life? Not another kind of bread, but the bread. You believe that he's better than anything that this world has to offer? And that what he does give us, the temporary breads, the manas, if you will, those daily provisions, they actually only have meaning and weight and, and sustenance because they're from him. You see, we've got to come to him, and that's why I want to invite you during this series to come to Jesus. He's the lasting meal. He's that full spiritual soul stomach. He's the baskets of bread that are collected that overflow. For those that are hungry, come and feast at this table. Well, we thought it would be helpful, it would be intentional, it would be a great reminder as we go into John to celebrate communion together as a reminder of this good truth this morning. As we do that, the, the elements will be passed and hold those and we'll take those together here in a few minutes, but I want you to reflect on a few of these questions as we sing and worship together. What does it mean to you that if this is true, this side of heaven, that you never have to be hungry or thirsty again if you'll come to him? What does that mean to you? If that promise is true, how do you daily nourish your soul? How do you come to this table and eat it, this bread? How do you make Jesus your daily bread. Well, Father, the name of your son, incredibly excited about our time together in John. Even in my own study, I've been marked and, and moved. Um, just the gentle rebuke this is to someone who claims to be your follower like me. These last 11,400 days, I've tried other breads and they didn't satisfy. I just wanna acknowledge before my family of faith that you're the better bread. You're the true bread from heaven, the one that's come down to give us life and hope. God, give us the courage in this room to believe that and take you at your word and to walk in that truth this week. Stop! 
has said that he will bring me home and day by day I know he will renew until I
you stand with me? We remember this morning the true bread has come down from heaven, this bread that was broken for us, that we might have life that John speaks of, life that is truly life. His body broken for us in our place. We remember, take and eat. that we would never be thirsty again. His blood covers our sin and makes us right with his Father, sets us free to live the life on this side of heaven that he intended us to live, give us hope for a future reality with him. His blood spilled for us, take and drink, we remember. Savior. 
believe that is true, and all creation bows before you, before you alone. God, you are almighty. You're the lion with the mighty roar. But you came and you laid down your life for us like the lamb. And it's in that spilled blood and the resurrection of our Savior Jesus that we can proclaim his goodness and his grace and his mercy on us. And so may we not forget that as we leave this room we go proclaim it. God, we love you. It's in your son's name. Amen. Well, church, we have the prayer room available to your right through these doors. If you want to pray there, be prayed over. We love you guys. Have a great week of worship. We'll see you next week.